Welcome back, everyone. Today, James Guzman is joining El Nino Speaks again. And before we dive into today's topic, James, could you give some of my new listeners a brief overview of your work? Sure. Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me on again. I'm a fan of the podcast. I'm always happy to talk to you. So yeah, I've been um, basically, I was in the Navy and uh, part of a uh, War in Afghanistan. And uh, then when I got out, I uh, was kind of disheartened by the entire situation with the military and, and a lot of the friends I had. So I went and I used the GI Bill and I went to university in Madrid and I studied international business there and uh, kind of went and visited all over Europe. And it was during the, uh, the European debt crisis, which was right after the 2008 crisis, which uh, both of those things hit me. Uh, hit to home. And so after that, I really thought that the like the economy was going to fall apart. And so I I went and I uh, was one of the first brokers for Peter Schiff at his bank in Barbados, the one which was just had to close down because it was smeared by the Australian uh, 60 Minutes that they did a smear piece on the said a bunch of lies about the bank, which is one of the ones that, that I first started. I was one of the first brokers there. And so they had to close it down. So I did that. So I had you know some experience basically selling commodities, things like that, and finance. And then I did also have a, a background in real estate in the United States. Then I, I moved to Mexico and I was in Acapulco. I was selling condos. I was writing for a financial newsletter and uh, basically helping people uh, internationalize their, their assets. And then I, I moved here to where I am now about 10 years ago. San Miguel de Allende. And uh, I was moving around, kind of doing a digital nomad thing a lot, helping people get location independent income, learn how to pay less taxes, and, um, you know, kind of uh, diversify how it is they make money and where to put the money once they have it. So I was moving around a lot, went to all kinds of different countries throughout Latin America. And then since then, I've kind of been, for the last few years, basically since COVID, I've decided to kind of plant my flag. And so I'm here and I'm married and now I have a son here. And so I'm basically just, uh, you know, calling this place home. And I help people that uh, would like to buy real estate here. Also, I've run around 80 uh, short-term rentals uh, all throughout the United States from down here. And, but that's kind of a behind the scenes thing. Uh, and then, so with, with basically when people, I help people online, if they need health insurance, basically moving down here, advice on that type of thing or moving internationally at all. A lot of Americans don't know how to get started if they want to kind of have a plan B or have, you know, not have all their eggs in one basket. Great self, man. So yeah, in our last conversation, we talked about the expatriate life in Mexico, but like, albeit like in a more like broad perspective. And today I actually want to delve deeper into Mexican culture, especially when we contrast it with like the U.S. And it's clearly different for very obvious reasons. However, you do have the geographic proximity to the U.S. and the U.S. is undeniable cultural primacy. Based on your um, perspective during your time living in Mexico, has the country become more Americanized, if you will, or has it been relatively stubborn in terms of maintaining its national identity? Yeah. So, uh, first of all, I, I just wanted to say, you know, I've been down here for over 10 years. I'm now, you know, I'm married to uh, a Mexican woman. We have a child together. And, and basically, you know, I spend a lot of time with people that, you know, we speak Spanish with locals and stuff like that. So, 
I do have kind of an insight into this as an English-speaking person that's probably hard to find. So there is kind of a funny, I don't want to say rivalry, but a, an interesting kind of situation just on, on both sides of the border as far as the United States and Mexico. I think that because of their proximity, it's caused a lot of kind of working together just because obvious geography and history and stuff like that, but also some animosity because they're so close and the history there. So I would say that um, although it's very close and there's there's a lot of you know people working together and things like that, I've found more people that are kind of like open to like when Americans come down and, and say that they want to start a business or they want to get integrated. A lot of the places farther south, like Colombia or, or things like that, are more open to that. Like if an American guy comes down there, then, you know, they'll, they'll actually like ask him, you know, you know, what do you need? This and that. Like they're happy. You know, the, the women are very friendly and they love that. You know, they love people to come down and appreciate their country. And with Mexico, it's there's such a history. They're just kind of like whatever, take it or leave it if you don't like it. You know what I mean? So there is that kind of a, a pushback, I think, that because of the history, a lot of the Mexicans do want to, to keep their culture. And so it is very interesting because as a lot of people know, um, you know, presently AMLO is the Mexican president and he's considered left wing, you know, kind of like um, Bernie Sanders type. That's how they ex explain him. And Morena Party, this came kind of like a third party that blew up both the the former ones, kind of like Trump did, but from another angle. And interestingly enough, you know, he seemed to be friends with Trump and it, he is kind of a they call him a populist. And uh, in the, the press down here, they use the word populist as a pejorative. So the point is that even him as a quote unquote left winger down here, I've noticed that, you know, he's still like culturally conservative. So he was saying that because, you know, the drug wars, basically he was saying that's because the family structure is is not, you know, intact in the United States. There's a lot of people on drugs because they're, they're not being taken care of. And, and uh, well, basically he was talking about uh the fabric, kind of cultural fabric and stuff like that, which seemed to me kind of like what we would consider the United States to be, a re you know, attacking from the right, right? And so, I, you know, I'm where I live presently is in the center, which is the most conservative part of Mexico. So that's that's my perspective now. I mean, you know, they have bullfights here that are uh, that are popular. You know, people like that, and and they still have kind of you know the ranches and things like that, and. Um, so it, they do push back, although I would say that um, it's definitely, you know, it's it's hard to stop, uh, you know, just basically the culture uh, hegemony, especially coming from universities, all places uh, overseas, they still, uh, they see uh, movies and Hollywood and, uh, you know, uh, all the big companies and people look up to that, you know, they just see what they see on the internet or whatever. And they think that, you know, the basically the United States, you know, progressive type thing is just, that's, that's the future. You know, that's, that's how civilized people act and stuff like that. And so you still have that within kind of the middle of the upper class type educated people, just kind of like in the United States, basically the college educated people that go along with that stuff. So, so you do have that here, but it's, it's less of the population, obviously. And, uh, you know, another thing is that basically uh, the, the last few years, I would say since 2020, there's been a big increase in the amount of uh, people moving down to Mexico specifically because it's, it's so just so close and so easy. You know, you talk to uh, Hervoye quite a lot, and and uh, you know he 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 thinks this is that's basically part of the whole uh, scheme. You know, is that uh, as more people from south of the border go to the United States, more people from the United States come down 
and it basically homogenizes the both of the countries together. And then, you know, at some point they'll be just like, well, what's the difference? It's all the same country anyways, right? Kind of a North American Union thing. That's what her way talks about. You know, I do know that there's definitely been a lot of, of people coming down here, uh, especially since COVID and, you know, people being able to work remotely more and more. And uh, it's kind of weird is that a lot of the progressive people from the United States or, you know, Democrats, they think that, you know, the narrative that the United States is just full of uh, white supremacists and, uh, you know, homophobe or whatever the hell. And, you know, everywhere overseas is just much better. Right? You know, they just think that the United States is just racist, bigoted country and every other place is just open, which is not the case. Like they're living in fantasy land. They have no idea what they're talking about. But they do think that, and uh, and they move down to other uh, places like Mexico, and uh, when they come down here, they all kind of uh, get together, and they reinforce their basically imaginary idea, right? That, and so they all just think, oh, yeah, everything, everybody's so nice and great and accepting here. And, uh, you know, they, they don't speak much Spanish at all, if, if any, and, uh, and they don't really interact with population. And so I do see a lot more and more of that kind of pockets of people and a lot of uh, even, even the uh, uh, LGBT thing, a lot of places, Puerto Vallarta and Guadalajara are two big examples now of just tons of people, especially from the United States, um, have, are just, it, it is kind of looked at as kind of a, a haven, like a gay haven. And um, more and more people get there and it just kind of takes over. And, and, you know, these people have a lot of money. And so they, especially in a place that you know, the government has less money, is less prosperous than, say, the places in the United States, then they they kind of have to, well, I don't know if they have to, but they do kowtow to people that have money that buy real estate and so that, you know, they pay property taxes and they help with a lot of NGOs also, tons of NGOs that are funded by foreigners down here. And uh, yeah, so they basically kind of, uh, a lot of these places, they can take over the place. And even if the local culture isn't really into it, the government doesn't really stop it. I'm really interested to see how this is going to work in the future, because like in the United States, especially uh, the right or Republicans, they're willing to give in on you know economic issues. And so they'll just say, oh, well, we're going to make money here and these people want to come in. And so it's fine if, you know, if they can do it, whatever they want to. Uh, I would say that in, in Latin America in general, they're less apt to do that. You know, they want to preserve their culture more and they don't care if they make <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, if, if it's. It's not all about the money, basically. So I think that there might be, they definitely are like, I, we want to have our, you know, we want to be Mexican here. We want to listen to Mexican music and, and uh, you know, speak Spanish and stuff like that, which if white people in the United States would say something like that, it would be racist, right? But they're very openly like that here. So, Yeah, that point about uh, the pushback is interesting because we're seeing a multi uh, state of multipolarity unfold on the global stage. Which, in other words, is like a international relations dynamic where the U.S. is no longer like the the sole power or global hegemon on the world stage, and you're seeing all forms of pushback against like U.S. supremacy. For example, like the creation of like the BRICS, um, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, and other parallel institutions to um, counter Western dominated uh, supranational bodies. What concrete ways have you seen Mexicans and even like the Mexican state, for example, uh, push back against like the excesses of U.S. overreach, whether it's like in like military or political or cultural forms? Well, I mean, as far as military, this, I mean, 
all they had was Lindsey Graham and and uh, Dan Crenshaw. Yeah, Crenshaw. And, you know, they just mentioned that and I guess put forth some bill that was never going to be approved. And and AMLO made a big deal about it. And he had this big thing, no intervention and all this, you know, like acting like they were they were suggesting that they wanted to invade Mexico or something, which is not what they were saying. So, yeah, I mean, I think that as far as this current administration here, any type of U.S. intervention is going to be very heavily pushed back against that, anything at all. So everything with this guy uh, is just intervention, which is funny because he just told all the uh, Latinos in, in Florida not to vote for DeSantis, which is kind of intervention. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one thing I would say is also as far as like corporations, um, I mean, there are Right. Because that's part of the whole thing as well. Right. Are these giant multinationals. And there are definitely, you know, big companies here and, you know, they have Walmart and they have all this stuff. But it's really not as entrenched as in the U.S. where basically that's, you know, that's the only place you can go. There's still kind of an informal and semi-formal economy where people can go for, you know, with people that have had businesses for a long time. And they just basically like open up a, a restaurant or, or a market or whatever in their house. Or, you know, some place that they have and they're able to trade and stuff like that. So I think that's that's another way that we kind of forget about. But as far as commerce, a way to push back, that's the problem that we're seeing in the United States, right? Is is like uh, a lot of people, you know, they have to basically like boycott any place that they can buy any food or buy any shoes or buy any beer. Um, if they want to get away from basically, you know, this, this uh, whatever you want to call it, the the multinational kind of woke culture. And so I think that's one thing here is that there's the uh, a larger kind of underground economy or, or semi-formal economy that people can go to that they're just, it's obviously not on board with that stuff, but you don't have to bow to, to the, uh, this weird culture in order just to start up a business or something. Yeah. Other than that, I would say that we're going to see what happens with the, the election coming up. I think this is going to be very interesting, not only with uh, the U S elections, but there's also going to be elections here. And, you know, obviously the U.S. and Mexico, they, they have, are intertwined economically and a lot of different ways. So it's going to be a di- different dynamic, you know, say that it's Trump and, and uh, Morena or it's Trump and say that Pan or Pri gets back in, which is kind of the, what people would, they call the more neoliberal or globalist parties. And so I think it's going to be a really interesting dynamic. But if Morena is elected again, it's not going to be AMLO. It'll be probably the, this, uh, Shine bomb, who's actually a, a Eastern European Jewish woman who is just uh, her whole university degree and everything that uh, her whole career has been about green energy, which I think is going to really kind of throw a monkey wrench in it. Or this other guy, Eberard, who's more mainstream. And then, you know, whether that's going to be with, with Trump or Biden, I think that's going to, because, it, you know, unfortunately, the dynamics of politicians has a lot to do with our culture now and how much it's actually, you know, it's going to be push back against how much it is actually in the, in the culture that there's going to be kind of a antagonism. Cause if we have, you know, the, the kind of like AMLO goes up there and, and stirs up the population or, you know, if Trump is in there, he's probably going to focus back more on Latin America and the probably Mexico in general, the cartels and stuff like that. And, and so that could be uh, an interesting mix. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I think that has a lot to do with what's, what's going to happen in the future. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. I am going, uh, it's going to be curious to see how Mexico is going to position itself as like the new Eurasian powers, such as like China and Russia continue to consolidate their strength on the global stage. And that could create some very peculiar dynamics because 
Um, the U.S. has a Monroe Doctrine ostensibly, but as it becomes like a lot more overstretched and it fumbles a lot of opportunities abroad, I could see some of these countries make certain inroads, not just in Latin America, but also like even like right on the U.S.'s doorstep in Mexico. Yeah. And again, like I said, if, if Trump gets back in there, um, I think that he's going to be a lot quicker to, you know, bring up the the cartel issue or obviously DeSantis. But, I, you know, currently I don't think he's got a a very good chance of, you know, becoming president, but uh, either one. And, and I, I think it's going to be hard to avoid if things continue to deteriorate. Uh, unless Mexico gets gets a hold on that situation, because um, you know if well, there could be there, we've already had you know a, some incidents, uh, n- not even very big incidents, but I think that there could be much worse incidents, kind of in, in involving the United States or, or U.S. soil that's going to force the U.S.'s hand some somewhere or another to get involved, uh, and so I think that could be. I don't. I don't know what to think about it because I think that it could be, definitely be, you know, get entangled in something like a Afghanistan-like conflict because the people on in you know a lot of the the places where these cartels are really entrenched, you know, are in poor areas, you know, very mountainous regions, and uh, you know, the, a lot of the people you know consider them to be the de facto government or the the patron of the area, and so they're probably going to be on the cartel side. So it's going to be another thing where you don't know who's, you know, who's on whose side or, or what's going on. So I, I don't know how they would play it. Um, you know, there's certainly people that know a lot more about uh, military strategy than I do. But if we know anything about what happened in Afghanistan, then probably would not turn out good. Oh, yeah, definitely. For sure. Yeah, I want to go back to some of like the stuff you mentioned with regards to cities like Guadalajara mm-hmm. that you've seen some degree of woke creep if you will into like some of like the institutions because everybody talks about wokeism and other culturally leftist trends that put like lgbt and ethnic grievance causes on a pedestal yeah it's like the talk of the town these days and it's like fully engulfed the u.s and the broader west and what ways has this stuff manifested itself in mexico and is it mostly like an urban thing yeah, so I was just in Guadalajara. Actually, I just came back yesterday, and uh, yeah. So when I when I say that, I say that it's growing. I mean, Mexico still. I, I mean, the places that I'm mentioning, they're still. I would say like 20 years behind the U.S. I mean, when, when you're watching, uh, like we were watching a, a very popular, you know, the the finals for soccer finals here, and uh, you know, we went up there to the stadium and all that, and a lot of people. I mean, they have none of you know when I watch a football game in the U.S. It is just, I mean, I watch it with my wife sometimes. She can't believe how just positive it is as far as I mean, everything is is black, everything is gay, everything you know, it's just over the top. I mean, every single commercial, everything, and uh, it's nowhere near that here. But especially the you know the so like the black stuff. I mean, it's just that's not part of really the uh, the the Mexican culture. Is you know they don't have just you know, kind of white guilt over slavery and stuff like that. It's, you know, so that stuff's not going to play here. When they did have the BLM riots all over 2020, there was like, in the town that I live, there was, uh, I'm not exaggerating, there was like five white women from the U.S. that like went and had some BLM signs and nobody even knew what they were talking about. So that's the kind of stuff. That's so it's, funny. It, you know, 
Yeah. They do have like where I live, just to give you another example, like where I live, they do have one place that has drag queens, but it's adult, right? So there's adults here, which. Oh yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes it can be annoying or whatever, but it's like, it's way, it's way behind the U S and you know, that's, uh, so the gay stuff is, it's, that's definitely concentrated in, in Puerto Vallarta and, uh, Guadalajara, you know, they call Guadalajara the, the kind of a gay friendly thing, but, um, you know, what is, I, I would, I would say what part of that is that, you know, like another thing uh, mentioning Hervoye again, cause he's always going on about the, uh, technology aspect. They are, you know, kind of implementing, uh, you know, they're trying to at least different types of, you know, digital digitization of money and, and tracking people, uh, you know, the, uh, video cam, you know, uh, the video cameras everywhere and, uh, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But another thing to keep in mind is that I would say, uh, I think it's around still, it's around 80% or more of the economy in the United States is, is black or gray market, meaning cash. So as far as like just controlling everything you're doing and getting canceled, you know, for saying the wrong thing, get your bank account uh, or, you know, social credit scores, all this type of stuff. I don't think that that's anywhere close to being implemented. Um, if people want you know, you're able to opt into that kind of stuff. You know, you can go to a bank that's going to track everything that you do. Every time you open the app, it has GPS on it. And uh, I haven't seen anybody like get, you know, I cancel or anything for, for what they say online. I've never seen that at all in, in Mexico. Yeah, I'm actually curious about this thing because I've noticed when it comes to countries that are outside of like the US's like sphere of like cultural influence, if you will, mm. that the way this stuff creeps in is through people in those respective countries that have a very strong grasp or at least like an intermediate grasp of English and are very attuned to like American culture. Have you yeah. seen that trend in Mexico as well, where like oh, yeah. English speaking Mexicans tend to be the ones that are the most uh, susceptible to getting like absorbed by the woke Borg? Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I, I think that, you know, it, it's kind of interesting because I do think that it's, it's mostly an English kind of California phenomenon. Although yeah. we, you have non-English speaking countries like Germany, for instance, that have also just gone overboard with it. But all these ideas do seem to, from my you know analysis, they seem to come from California just specifically. So yeah, when I'm talking to somebody and, you know, they use, you know, they're, they're talking about Latinx or, you know, some of these like non-gendered language. <laughs> I know that this, this person is, has gone to a, a, either a, a U.S. university or they've been taught here. So a lot of the, another thing is that since it's kind of seen as prestigious, uh, still, a lot of uh, the you know universities will hire people that were trained in, or you know educated in uh, you know U.S. universities, and so that's another way. It kind of just it's an ideology, man, and, and it, I really do think that that's the right analysis. You know, and I I think that uh, Paul Godfrey and a lot of these people have it right. That it's just it's a more pervasive and you know just a, a, a one that's bigger than communism ever was, and it's it's just in a lot of ways. And it's just goofy and it spreads mostly through the popular media and universities. And so, yeah, so people will catch on to stuff like that uh, are basically definitely the quote unquote educated class. I mean, if you go to just your standard, like, uh, you know, a construction worker or something, he's not going to know anything about that shit. And, uh, you know, it's still very like old school and everybody goes to, uh, 
you know, goes to church and uh, they're all, everybody's Catholic, you know what I mean? And um, so, uh, although, I mean, I don't know how much modern Catholic church really is a pushback to this kind of stuff, uh, but I've, you know, I've gone to the one here and I don't see them preaching anything about, you know, egalitarianism or or any of that kind of stuff here. I haven't, I haven't seen that. So yeah, I definitely think that it's, it, at least not here, it's a, it's a English speaking phenomenon. And, you know, it's a lot of people that just want to be hip and popular, but as you, as you mentioned about kind of multipolarity, I think that it could be a, a turning point. I think it's, st- well, I'm still waiting to see, but um, I think that if the United States get its ass handed to it or NATO and, and you know, basically the United States gets its ass handed to difference. it. Yeah, right. Um, in uh, the Ukraine, I think that's going to be a real big turning point because basically, you know, the, the, everybody kind of respects this whole, you know, the, the globalist culture and and all this because they think, well, it's, you know, it's the big man on campus. Basically, they got all the money. They got, you know, I got all the power. And so you got to get on the get on the winning team. Basically, I think that's what people think. And, you know, if you're if you're you're just a, you know, a backwards hick. And that's kind of the U.S. language, but it's the same here. You know, you basically they call they have different names for them, but they call them uh, you know backwards. So uh, you know, if, if you're not go along with it, but if if you know it's seen that well, it's actually not. If if Russia can beat the U.S., then that's that's something. You know, and, and the entire European Union, and you know, we, we all know that the basically the the financial hegemony also is run on that principle. Uh, there's really nothing backing up the the dollar other than a force or else the, uh, you know, just the, the, the idea that they can use force and basically they, they can come in and, and, uh, and replace anybody they want if they don't want to go along with the program. But that's no longer the case. I think that it's going to be very interesting as far as, you know, just r- how rapidly the respect of the U.S. It can drop, and then how? I mean, uh, you know, uh, obviously the U.S. The, the dollar is still, you know, because of the euro dollar, a lot of offshoot financials. It's still used as the, the uh, you know, it is the, you know, a lot of people talk about there's going to be a, a world currency. I mean, we have a world currency. It's the U.S. dollar. It has been for a while. If you want to do any, you know, especially shady international stuff, then you're going to do it in dollars. You know, so. It's still going to be a significant part of the financial system, but obviously, what what they did with with Russia and just in general, people looking at you know how you know basically the joke that is running the the you know basically the administration that doesn't you know I think that it could, it could I don't know how rapidly, but maybe slowly. Maybe we're talking about ten years that people could slowly move into other currencies, and we'll see what that looks like. I'm not really sure what it's going to look like. It might be just very chaotic. You know, I always thought it was going to be more people more, more switching to uh, commodity, gold, silver, uh, things like that based things which might happen. I don't think Bitcoin's ready for anything like that. A lot of people think all of a sudden people are going to move into Bitcoin. That's going to be kind of international reserve. I don't think that's really going to happen. I think that probably the Davos crowd is going to try to cobble together some like, you know, SDR type of multi-currency system. I doubt that'll work either. So I, I think it might just be very chaotic, which is... Uh, yeah, same here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, with regards to like crypto, I think it might take a, a while for that stuff to really come into fruition. And it might actually be a good thing too, because I'd be really skeptical if it were to like have a, a very meteoric rise, because I think that could lend itself to getting like 
easily co-opted and then like we already saw how the internet got co-opted and i don't want like another like repeat of okay. this entire process like it's yeah. kind of lame if that would yeah and another thing i mean i think you and i uh agree i mean the way i look at it is i don't want to say ideological but societal meaning that you know you want to have a, a creative society of people that you more you more or less you know agree with and and uh you know and, and harmonious with that's kind of the idea right and so uh, yeah. i see a lot of people that are getting into bitcoin lately that are doing it because you know for very you know liberal reasons you know that just that be, you know i've seen a lot like oh because they want to escape lgbt oppression or something so they use bitcoin or they want to you know th- this type of stuff like so they want to continue they think that the bitcoin is going to continue with the kind of uh progressive ideology it's going to make them even freer so that's kind of problematic to me if you're trying to use it to get away from that right yeah another big thing that a lot of people don't mention is um you know uh, people is understand how complex an economy is and and how you know how big uh you know so your bond markets and stock markets are i mean uh pension funds and you know giant sovereign wealth funds that we're talking about trillions of dollars and you have to have a mature market. You have to have a mature legal system and a debt market. So for instance, if you are going to get a mortgage, you know, a 30 year mortgage in the U S or something like that, that's one of the, you know, underpinning parts of the U S market that, um, you know, has been successful is because a lot of people have made money through equity in their house, right. With 30 year mortgages, nobody's going to lend you money for 30 years in Bitcoin priced in Bitcoin. Uh, or any crypto for that matter. It's just way too volatile. And uh, you, you don't know where it's going to be next year, let alone in 30 years. So that's the thing is that in order to build a, a mature market uh, uh, th- and you know to have real money get into it, I mean, you, you might be able to just like certain individuals can, uh, they can escape, you know, regulation or government, you know, taxes or whatever they're trying to do, illegal stuff with uh, crypto. And that's fine with me. But that's what I'm saying is that's not going to be like, that's not going to bring out, you know, like crash down nation states and we're all going to be in this, you know, like uh, global anarchist, the anarchy or something like that. Like a lot of people say, I don't think, uh, because it's just, you got to understand how big these financial and how influential they are. So, uh, I, yeah. So until there's an alternative, people keep going into to the dollar. But as I said, it could just be over like a 10 year uh, kind of thing of that. But, you know, another thing I would say is that if people... There's a reason, you know, because so the, the U.S. still is basically like a stable financial market with good laws and institutions. You know, I've been part of stuff here in Mexico where a ma- bank manager has just stolen millions of dollars out of people's accounts and the government did nothing. And I've seen different things like that, you know, so I'm sure, you know, this stuff in China and, and Russia, you know, if you got if you're handling billions of dollars, say for, you know, your local pension money or something like that, like, you know, you're responsible for that, then you got to be very careful. I mean, where are you going to put it? You know, so it's still kind of, it's, that's the safe place to go. It's hard. There's really no other place. So that's basically the the situation we're in. And um, I think that has a lot to play with as far as, you know, Mexico and the United States, because, you know, still, as long as the, the dollar continues to be that way, then U.S. people will be able to make dollars or keep the dollars that they've made in pensions and stuff like that and spend it here in Mexico just because of the how strong the dollar is they'll be able to live a, a decent life although the dollar has gone down uh, against the peso here within the last 6 months or so 
Yeah, I think some people do still underestimate the fact that the U.S. has a very good uh, property rights regime, if you will, and it's still very institutionally sound on economic fronts compared to most countries. And that's something that should be taken into consideration. That's why like the dollar, I think, will still be like king, where the U.S. may start seeing its influence wane could be because of military reasons due to domestic constraints and also like cultural stuff as like other countries start reasserting themselves more culturally. But I'm not very convinced that the dollar is going to die overnight. And in fact, I think even a truncated like U.S. could still be relatively prosperous, especially in certain regions of the country. But I'm not on that economic doom tip. Now, now to shift the discussion, um, this is where I think that things will get a bit spicier because there is a trend in the West that I've been noticing over the past decade or so. Um, and this is based on my experience delving into like the seduction and pickup community. You have like the whole phenomenon of like passport bros, which are like these guys who generally seek out foreign women by traveling to other countries. Say, for example, Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, former Soviet bloc nations, and even Asia as well. Most of these passport bros, I'd say, are generally exhausted with Western women for like their like allegedly like masculine behavior and just like um their inability to form like good bonds with them. So they seek out these women in other countries who they believe are like more like submissive, feminine, and traditional. How prevalent is this passport bro trend in Mexico based on your experience there? Oh, I mean, it's it's definitely pretty prevalent. I mean, all the the guys that I know, uh, you know, expat guys down here that I know or, you know, they go out with uh, have Mexican wives or girlfriends like, you know, we go out. It's kind of funny because it's all like, you know, it could be if I if it's an expat group, you know, it's like a bunch of white guys and Mexican women. You know, it's not very rarely the other way around. And uh, I guess the passport bro itself like that. Verbiage. It's. I think that's more of like black guys that go to Asia. Uh, I've seen this pop up. I haven't really looked into it a lot, but uh, I don't know who started that. But I mean, going over overseas for women has been something that's going on, you know, for for a long time. I mean, obviously, yeah, especially, for a long, yeah, 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 especially in the military, right? So I was in the navy, and so you know, you're on a ship, right? So you just go and you you're in different ports and stuff like that. And so especially among the navy, you know, people getting married to Filipinos or. Colombians or something like that because their ship was there and they met a girl that's been a pretty popular phenomenon. And um, I think, I mean, uh, can I say any other way? I mean, that's basically, you know, what what I've done and I prefer them not even speak much English. Uh, I think that it, it, I've noticed it's just a big, you know, so like from, if you have a Latina, even, even one that is, say they're from another country, but then they go to the United States and learn perfect English and, and then they get really into the culture I've noticed that they kind of, you know, then they just turn into uh, kind of the regular uh, American and maybe not completely, but it's not the same as like a woman that you'll find that, uh, you know, just speaks Spanish and lives in Latin America. And uh, yeah, I've, I find it to be night and day. They're uh, just, you know, a lot friendlier and a lot more feminine and, you know, a lot more family oriented. That's for sure. 
And, uh, you know, another thing that I, that was really exhausting to me in the United States is, um, is that, you know, all the women, they want you to spend all this money on them, like upfront. And I've always been against that. Like, I don't know, like I just, it's, it's, they're, they're like open about it. Like, you know, that you you have to take them to a hundred dollar dinner or something like just to go and, yeah. and, and meet them. That's bullshit. I mean, I'll invite you to go to walk in the park or something. I mean, you know, I don't even know you. And, uh, yeah. Or, you know, do something together or some event. I'm not, you know, you're not my wife or you're not my girlfriend or anything like that. I, you know, so I don't see the reason I need to just spend hundreds of dollars just to have a conversation with you. And so, yeah, so it's a lot more laid back in Latin America. It's just basically, you know, you could just, you know, meet somewhere out and uh, talk to them and, you know, go to a, a a bar or something, buy a beer or, or buy, so you know, just inexpensive, go to the park or, you know, go to the beach. Uh, and they're fine with that. Even uh, high class uh, women, you know, are kind of laid back in that way. I, I, it's uh, much more down to earth. I find it to be. And yeah, they want to usually have kids, so you got to keep that in mind if you're going to do that strategy. That probably she's going to want to have kids with you, and more than one. And uh, and, I, and you're going to have her family involved in your business. <laughs> so, yeah. But speaking Spanish or whatever language it is that you're going to go to, I think is a big plus. If you already speak another language, I'd say just do it. Like go and and uh, you probably just want to keep them there. And uh, if you have to do some business in the U.S. or something, then you can just go do that and come back. And it's going to be a lot less money. You know, another good thing about that is at least where I am. I mean, it's it, you're not going to have the woke indoctrination. I mean, it's much less money to go to a private school that you vetted or to do homeschooling to, you know, be able to hire in-home help that will allow you and your family to spend, you know, more time to, to raise the, the, the child yourself and, uh, you know, do, you know, different activities and, and things like that. And then there's no, for instance, uh, even the hospitals here, you know, if you don't like all the kind of medical tyranny, I sell health insurance and I know about the the medical industry down here and basically you just do whatever you want to. So, you know, you could, you choose whatever vaccines you want uh, for you and your kids. Uh, you, you choose about circumcision or all, what, all that kind of stuff, Wh- whatever you want to do, whatever procedures you want done on yourself and you just pay out of pocket. Um, it's inexpensive and you choose your own doctor um, that, you know, that you like. So I think that's another thing that allows you, you know, because that's one thing a lot of people worry about, you know, when they're raising, having a family or stuff like that is just, you know, as far as the education and the medical aspects of it. So you can just basically, if you're making a decent amount of money, then you can actually afford to like have a family down here and be pretty free with your choices. Interesting. In general, you you said that dating is pretty laid back in Mm -hmm. Mexico. Yeah. How prevalent is like Western style hookup culture in Mexico based on your time there? Oh, it's interesting. I, you know, I don't know how familiar I am with it anymore because I haven't even been there in, uh, I haven't been to the United States for like 12 years. So yeah, like Tinder and stuff like that. And I guess I hear that, uh, you know, like sugar, sugar baby stuff is pretty popular there. Is that what you're referring to? I don't, I'm not sure what, um, yeah. culture is. Yeah. Just like that or, uh, meeting up like, uh, nightclubs, bars, like the whole, like, yeah, online dating and in-person stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, I spent some time in Colombia, and I'll say that it's a lot more prevalent there. Obviously when you go to places where, you know, like there's poverty, then, yeah. um, you know, the women are just, you know, cause they're, they're poor. So they're pretty much, you know, if you got money, then you do whatever you want. 
And uh, so, yeah, if you wanted to do that, they'd be open. But uh, yeah, as far as like higher class women, that's going to be a lot harder. Like I said, they're much more family oriented and, and stuff like that. But I will say that, you know, most of the guys, if they want to do hookup culture or whatever, they'll just go to the bars or like the yeah, kind of like basically strip clubs. They have a lot of clubs down here where they're not like table, they call them table. It's not, it's not a strip club. Some of them, they strip, but a lot of times it's just girls that are pretty much, you know, like I said, they're, they're poor and like, you could just make a, a deal with them. You know, you give them money or whatever, and they'll be, you know, kind of like sugar baby type of thing. Uh, so that's, yeah. you know, a lot of the guys that just want to do that and you know, do that. And that's, you know, that's fine, whatever, you know, you got the money and, and you just don't want to deal with it. And that's, that's always an option. But as far as more of, you know, if you wanted more of a, a, a traditional type thing, then that's the hookup thing is not a, uh, it's frowned upon for sure, because, you know, they're, their families are involved. And so, you know, their brothers and their dad and all that, you know, mom and stuff, they're they're not going to like just some like random dude. Hang and because usually they live close to their family or with their family. So, you know, so yeah, gonna, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just curious um, because when I was living in Chile, oh, the way a lot of people would get around that was they would have like these uh, pay by the hour, like motels and stuff yeah. like that. Are those pretty prevalent in Mexico? Yes, yeah, the motel. I mean, yeah, they got motels around. Yeah. Uh, like I said, where I am, it's it's a very conservative, more conservative part of the country. So they don't even have um, strip clubs or anything here anymore. Yeah. They used to have some, but they don't even have that. So they've been like cracked down on. So that it's not really big here. But you know, if you go to like the, the beach towns, you know, where there's a lot of tourism. Uh, for instance, Acapulco, where I used to live. I mean, it's party time. You know, you could do whatever you want to there, and and uh, you know, a lot of chicks are open to that. It's pretty. Easy, like I said, especially if you speak a little bit of Spanish and you got some some dough, then you can have a good time if that's what you want to do. You know what I mean? But I wouldn't like want to wife one of those chicks up. You know what I mean? It's just uh, kind of a fun fun time. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but it is a fun time. Yeah. <laughs> now, as far as like um, like expats that you see in Mexico, what age demographic are they? Um, generally come from like in the u.s are they they tend to be more middle-aged and older or are you seeing more younger expats come here yeah come yeah there? yeah yeah uh, that's a good question um so historically um it's definitely been more retirees uh you know and uh you know because that's social security and pension basically they had you know they can't they can barely live in the states but then when they come down here they can live a pretty good life and they can go out to eat every night and they can have their dinner parties with their other expat friends so they can live a decent life when you know, in the U.S., they, they they couldn't. So it's kind of been an escape valve, I think, for a lot of retirees. I mean, you can. I know a guy down here who is completely broke, but he lives off Social Security, which I guess I don't know whatever that is. I think he makes like fourteen hundred dollars a month, and he's able to have an apartment and go out to eat, and you know, at least once a week, and go out to drink and whatever, you know. And and he's not like living a miserable life. And you know, in the states, he would be dead. You know what I mean? I mean, what are you going to do with fourteen hundred dollars a month? Be under a bridge or something? I guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's been. I think it's been kind of an escape valve for a lot of the 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 boomers that are unable to just basically live in states, and you know their families don't want to take care of them. But uh, lately, because of remote work things like that, there have been a lot more coming down. I'm gonna. We're gonna see how that goes up because I think that as far as the remote work thing, that we did see an explosion of that in 2020 for obvious reasons. But I do think that. Because there has been inflation here, not as much as in the States, but there has been inflation here and the dollar has gone down. So it's not 
quite as cheap as it was 2020. And I think that when people get more financially pressed, then they're going to have to go back to cities or they're going to have to go back to in you know, in-person work, they're going to have to go back to where they have a, some sort of a, a social network because a lot of them come down here and they're basically by themselves. And that's, you know, you're by yourself in a country, you don't know anybody and, you know, how you can't get a job because you're not going to work for 50 bucks a week. So you're going to have to go back. You know what I mean? So I think that might happen. We'll see what happens. But I do think it's going it's, to, it's interesting that over the next 10 years, 15 years, we're going to see a big change, I think, in the demographic of expats in Latin America in general because the boomers are going to be dying off. And um, that is, I think that's going to really impact a lot of places like where I live. You know, a, a lot of the bars and restaurants, at least during the week, they're supported by baby boomers, Social Security and pensions and stuff that they spend down here. And it's a, it's a bit, it really props up a lot of the tourist areas and a lot of the, you know, the expat heavy areas and they buy expensive houses or pay, you know, rent a lot more than any local would. So I think that the demographic will probably change. We'll see if there's less down here, if there's more, it's hard for me to make a prediction about that. But presently over the last couple of years, there definitely has been a lot more. Well, another thing that, that caused a lot of people to come down to Mexico was COVID, especially the the shots because Canadians specifically, I remember a big uh, uptick in my business in 2021. uh, And uh, because just a lot of the Canadians that just like wanted to get the hell out of there because they didn't want to uh, get vaxxed. And, uh, you know, down here in Mexico, there's no laws against that. And, you know, there was no uh, lockdown or any types of vax requirements or anything like that. And so a lot of people came down because of that. And so we'll see if they end up staying. So that that's, that's, that's how it is now. All very interesting stuff to be observing in the next like few years, because <laughs> we, we are witnessing a profound change in like the total global uh, economic and political order. And we're going to see, realignments on all fronts so that's something that we should all keep our eyes on for sure yeah yeah let's uh let's bookmark this convo Mm -hmm. james i really enjoyed um chatting with you today i know you've been quite busy in the recent weeks so just go ahead and promote your work and tell my listeners where they can keep up with the with your latest projects okay um yeah so i mean the easiest thing to do now i'm basically i'm moving things around. I'm trying to figure out what's the best thing moving forward. So right now, I guess basically it's just jamesguzman.com. And I, I kind of have all my stuff there. And, you know, I would just say basically if people are interested in uh, moving internationally or, you know, uh, any types of immigration help or, you know, things like that, real estate advice, short-term rental investments, i know a lot about. And so, yeah, they can just go there and they can book a call with me. Also international health insurance. Uh, you can save tons of money if you're buying your own health insurance, if you just have a, a overseas address. So yeah, that's, that's what I would say. JamesGuzman.com. Go there, check out the stuff. And and if you think I can help me, then you can just book a call there. Awesome, man. All right, everyone. Uh, thank you again for listening in to another fantastic episode of El Nino Speaks. And with that, El Nino has spoken.